Hey gang, it's Harold. I'm podcasting to you from the bunker. In the interest of distracting myself and my gaming friends, I'm reaching out to some interesting people to ask them what they're doing, game-wise. With such a big-time dividend, I want to hear what they're doing, playing, designing, and thinking about. No CNN, no CNBC, just games. My production obsession will have to be put on hold, as I'm most interested in communicating with you rapidly and with some interesting content. This podcast documents a discussion I had with amateur historian Kimber Van Rye. Yeah, well, thank you for taking the time to do it. You know, my 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 intention here is to provide a little bit of non-political, non-medical, non-financial news-oriented yep. content for our friends. And so mm-hmm. um, the other thing I've challenged myself to do is to um, to change the way I create podcasts because what I've been doing is really uh, I love it and I enjoy doing it, but it's just um, manpower intensive. Uh, yeah, and and so without the music and without the buffers, I'm just going to record something and put a little buffer in the front, and then we're done. And that way, I can get some yeah. good content out. At least I think it it's been great content. So it's going to people are going to love this. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but look, the, so three ground rules, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, first, no medical discussions. Second, no political discussions. And third, no financial discussions. Absolutely. And uh, would be very nice for all of us to avoid for a little bit. So yeah. <laughs> we could use a break. So, uh, you know, I, I, I thought it'd be great for us to talk about what you're going to do during this uh, during the break with some time dividend. And part of the answer is I saw you did a live feed of Liberty or Death, which I thought was terrific. I did. I had, um, it's my first time I'd ever done that. Um, I work for a company that uh, sells uh, electronic and audio video photography, all kinds of technology. And I was there like, oh, I've got a tripod sitting in the corner. And I went next door and I borrowed a, a iPhone a jack to attach to that. And I just quickly kind of cobbled it together. And I think I had 50 people watching it live and overnight like another couple hundred people watched it so yeah for my for my first shot i think i did okay yeah it was great and uh i assume that was your wife that was cheering on the patriots during the fourth of july yes it was (laughs) i'm uh i I live in brooklyn and i live in a you know an apartment that's a little over a thousand square feet with three other human beings and so there's not a lot of personal space so she uh, winds up being part of my hobby too. Sometimes it was it was great. Her 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 little addition, Go America, was uh, was much appreciated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've uh, I've thought a little bit about you know doing some live. I don't know if it live, but it just recording myself playing a game. And of course, you know that my my position on the podcast has always been I'm not the interesting one. I need to find somebody that's interesting. So. I think uh, right. I contacted Mark Herman and, and he and I are horse trading, trying to figure out what game to play together and uh, yeah. probably won't do it live, but we'll certainly record it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my sons play a lot of video games and sometimes even more than that, they're sitting there watching other people play games. And so, I mean, it's certainly the way of the generation that's coming up behind us. Um, and I figured like, Hey, a lot of people's schedules are a little bit different this weekend on a Friday night. I would normally be at my gaming club with a dozen other people spread over a bunch of tables playing games. And I was like, 
what am I going to do on a Friday night by myself? Let me try to mix it up and do something a little different. Yeah, great idea. Great idea. And we all need the, you know, the non-CNN, non-CNBC content, don't we? Oh, yeah. That's easy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's an on-off switch for a reason. Yes. So what about what about your game group? It's uh I, I watch with great interest when you when you all post action, after action reports or pictures from the club. Yeah, yeah. tell me a little bit about the history and and what you guys like to play. Sure. So it's Metropolitan War Gamers. It was founded in 1984. Um, so it's the longest continually operating uh, war gaming group in New York City. Um, we have a physical space that we rent. It's the basement of a, a townhouse in Park Slope, Brooklyn, which is a fairly um, well-to-do neighborhood. But on a side street, uh, we rent a whole basement where we've got eight tables. Um, we've got what we call baker racks to rack games. So, you know, set up a, you know, Holland 44 and play it over like a number of weekends. Um, some of those, t three of those tables, when you take the top off, have uh, sand in them. So if you're into miniatures gaming with a traditional sand table, uh, we do that. Um, it was originally, when it started, exclusively a miniatures game. And obviously, I wasn't around in 84. Um, uh, they did explicitly didn't allow any kind of board game play uh, originally in the club. Um, but today, we play... You know, we play everything, Hex Encounters, monster games, some more like, you know, modern, um, just, uh, you know, Euro games, um, pretty much any kind of game uh, that you can think of is what we play. And, and some miniatures, too, for sure. And that spans from historicals to sci-fi and everything from, you know, micro, you know, six millimeters sci-fi all the way up to 28 millimeter historicals on every era and we have storage. So um, we have a membership program. People pay a monthly fee to be a full-time member. Full-time members have a set of keys for the club. So everybody has 24 seven access. So we're not a storefront. We're not a public space. Uh, we do invite guests as uh, guests of members. Um, people can show up, play, um, get to know the group. And then um, after a few months of paying dues, we do a vote, vote people in as membership, and they get a set of keys. Uh, it's worked pretty well like that since uh, 1984. You, you meet once a week. Uh, I mean, generally, I, I guess if you're a member, you can go anytime you'd like. But Yeah. Yeah, we usually have, I mean, during the week, there's usually at least a couple people down on any given night. Um, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays, provided that it's not like football season, um, uh, are also pretty packed. Um, on a Friday night, we could have anywhere from a dozen to a couple dozen people. Um, people bring um, some people bring their uh, their spouses or their boyfriends or girlfriends. Some of our older members will bring some of their children. And so we will sometimes like on a Saturday afternoon, have somebody playing a, uh, like a mini's Ghostbusters game with their nine-year-old daughter while somebody's over at another table playing some, uh, uh, you know, old Avalon Hill game. Um, so it's a real, it's a real wide swath of people. So if you don't, I don't know if you can disclose the economics, but I'm curious for a place that where real estate's so expensive. Mm -hmm. How you can how you can make that model work? Yeah, so 
it predates me, but we, there, there was a relationship with the gentleman that owns um, the building and it was a raw basement space that wasn't being used for anything. And so it's a, it's an opportunity for that uh, building owner to make money on the space that he wouldn't um, otherwise. And we cleaned it up and we kind of helped keep an eye on the place and so on. So um, a, a full-time member pays 40 bucks a month. Um, if you rent a shelf, uh, like I do to store minis and games there, because we all live in small places, it's handy to keep your stuff right there. Uh, it's another 20 bucks. So like somebody like me, I'm in for 60 bucks a month. Um, and that gives me, you know, for those of us, I don't have a basement. I don't have a garage. I don't have an attic. I don't have a den. Um, so that's where we all sort of meet and to play our games and yeah, we pool our money and we're able to cover the rent and uh, utilities and those kinds of things. Yeah, I, I guess part of it is the fact that the fact that demand for this is created by the scarcity of space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, how many members in the club? Um, we've got. I'm trying to remember, we just voted. We've got between thirty-five and forty full time right now. A couple others working on full time membership. Um, you know, members come and go. We have some members from as far away as Connecticut, um, Pennsylvania, uh, New Jersey, out on Long Island. Most of them live in and around the city in the five boroughs, but they are spread around a little bit. Um, yeah, I would like to boost it up. You know, I'd feel a little better um, sort of long term if we were creeping up on, you know, 50 or so. That's uh, that's pretty that's pretty good, especially if yeah people show up. And I'm sure they're they're prone to show up paying the paying the dues. Yep, yep. So what else is going on with you? I I see you're interested in a number of different things. I see you playing board games, but then also you play uh, you're a minis player painter. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm into you know I'm into just about anything. I'm I'm. I'm easy. I'll oftentimes just show up at the club and say like, Oh, what do you guys want to play? Um, but, uh, for the last couple of years, I've really been into, so I'm a lifelong minis player. Um, I started off playing like fire and fury and 15 millimeter in like the early eighties when I was a kid, uh, I had a, a model train layout and also a big interest in history, um, in my family. And then, my mom took me when I was like, I don't know, 14 or something like that to a, a minis convention at the University of Rochester. And I had never seen anything like it before. And I was there like, wow, you can take history and build models out of it and play it as a game. And I think we left that convention and went over to in Rochester, New York, there was this place for years called Crazy Igors and bought like just a couple of bags off the rack. We had no idea what my brother and I were buying. And we just went home and started gluing guys on bases and painting things. And, you know, I've been a minis gamer ever since. Um, right now, the last couple of years, it's been French and Indian War, um, partially because I grew up in Western New York and lived in Pennsylvania for a while. I do a lot of traveling to those sites. Um, and then uh, a fellow member of the club, um, our current secretary, a guy by the name of Jameson Proctor, and I 
last year started playing around with a Dungeons and Dragons 5e based um, game that we've called Forts and Frontiers. And we successfully funded that via a Kickstarter last year. And we're just working through um, the writing and delivery of that product um, any day now. <laughs> we're getting very close. I know you backed it and I'm sure you're waiting with bated breath like everybody else. Well, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. And I know that you weren't finished when you presented it. So I don't have a problem yeah. at the time. Yeah, I mean, we really had a skeleton. I mean, we had a we had a scenario and a couple of extra rules. And the more we talked about it, we were just there like, let's just let's just write a full rule set. You know, like let's give people more than what they were expecting. And so we're hoping that the delay is fine um, with people because the product's going to be much more than what was originally intended. Well, I'm excited, and I I you know I'm not a, I'm not a miniatures gamer generally. Mm -hmm. uh, but I love miniatures and I love it when somebody yeah. else paints them. I love to pl play other people's minis um, mm -hmm. in general, yeah. but yeah. yeah. For, for example, my, I had a friend that painted the minis uh, so that I have a full set of Liberty or Death in 2800 oh, yeah. minis. Yeah. And I so think I've I, seen photos of that. Yeah. It's awesome. I have a friend that printed a map that was, it, it's four X, right? It's twice as wide, twice as long. Yep. And the map's yep. beautiful anyway. It's a work of art. And then yeah. those minis on top, it's just an extraordinary experience yeah. and fun yeah. to look at. But when I participated in your Kickstarter, uh, I jumped all in. And I, I've got uh, minis and, and, and the game coming. So I'm excited to uh, you know, yeah. have a handful yeah. of people here that are interested in the period uh, and, and yeah. want to run some, some uh, French and Indian War campaigns, or at least pre- Pre, yeah. And it's really, um, I mean, the more, the, the aha moment a couple of years ago when we were testing it was, um, was this, you know, because it's Dungeons and Dragons 5e and I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons since the late 70s. I was a very young kid, but an, I had an older neighbor that introduced me to it. Um, um, you know, I, I got looking at the alignment one night when we were playing it and I was there like, you know, like alignment, alignment, alignment. Let's think about the dynamic between Europeans and um, the native peoples of North America. And really, it's not like a, you know, chaotic, good, bad, you know, or evil kind of alignment. It was really cultural, religious alignment was really what that whole pre-colonial and colonial period was all about. You know, whether it was political alignment during the revolution, um, you know, cultural alignment, religious alignment. So how are we going to work that into as a mechanic in the game? And that's really what we've been fiddling around with a fair amount. One of the things that was interesting to me about the Kickstarter was your involvement. And primarily because I also watch your other videos and recordings as you traipse around, as you mentioned, uh, New York and Pennsylvania visiting. Yep. And talking about the sites of the French and Indian War, yeah, Is that um, and and you know the American Revolution, which took place in the same area, at least to the yeah. east, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, <clears throat> you know, it's funny. I, you know, I interact online with you know people like you and people from all over the world, and it's always fascinating to me when like somebody in uh, you know Germany is interested in 
like the French and Indian War, and may very never, you know, may never have an opportunity to actually like walk over some of those battlefields in the same way that I might not always see all the European battlefields, you know. And you know, I think one of the benefits of living here in New York City and growing up in the Northeast is the proximity to so many of these things that I can just get out there and I can throw on a backpack and get in the woods and not see another pe- person for a couple of days. And really kind of get a feel for a while, like what would it have been like? You know, I always, I would say like coming to, you know, what Europeans called the new world was, you know, practically like going to the moon and you had no idea, you had no supply line, you had, you know, everything was like truly a discovery. Although a friend of mine reminds me at least the um, going to the moon, they had some delayed radio communication back and forth to each other. So they didn't. Um, so it was even more extreme than going to the moon. Um, so I think the visceral experience, um, informs me, you know, along with my reading and museums and painting and developing scenarios and all of that, it just helps to build out. And the reason why I love the hobby too, you can go to a fort and come home and like play the game. Right. Yeah. It makes you so interested. So interesting yeah. in the topic. Yeah. And I think, you know, French and Indian War is different than American Revolution. And this is probably obvious, but I'll say it anyway. Um, you know, American Revolution, you can visit Boston and New York and see a lot of very important sites. Um, yeah. But French and Indian War, a lot of those forts were in pretty obscure places. Yeah. And, and yeah. so it's very hard. I, I think it's hard to get out and see and touch the French and Indian War. Yeah. And a lot of it isn't, um, I mean, things are referred to as forts, but a lot of things that were historically known as forts were really no more than, you know, what we would think of as like a log cabin kind of thrown up along a trade route, you know? So, I mean, there were certainly the larger forts. Um, but, um, I mean, one of my favorite ones, which is just so weird. Um, my wife is from outside of St. Louis, Missouri. And so a number of years ago, I, drove uh, sort of southeast of St. Louis over under the Illinois side. And there's this huge recreation of, uh, and my French is horrible. It was the uh, Fort de Chartres. And it's in, it's like in the middle of nowhere. It's in the middle of like farm fields. And it was this huge outpost of the French. And there's, to this day, there's nothing around it. And I just try to think about, well, like, wow, if you were like a Frenchman and you'd come, you know, a third of the way around the world and you'd spent a couple of years just sitting out here in the middle of this wilderness and that was their whole experience, like, what would have that have been like? And I just find that to be endlessly fascinating, especially in a world where we're just continuously connected to anything. Yes, absolutely. Did you watch the recent... Um History Channel had a four-parter on Washington and his life. Yeah, I did. Ah, you sound right. skeptical. I, liked, I, li- <laughs> I had opinions. Let's hear it. Um, I mean, I, I love the historians. Um, it's great to just always see, you know, real, like, writing published historians talking about a topic that they're passionate about. You know, having been to places, you know, like, as soon as they're showing – like um, uh, George Washington at Jumonville Glen. It's just like, that is just like done all wrong. And like the guy gets, um, 
I can't remember how the half King kills him on that documentary, but like he, you know, he doesn't hit him in the head and scoop his brains out. You know, I guess that's a little intense for the history channel, but like the terrain was all wrong. Now the average person isn't going to know that, but that's the kind of stuff that I think drives like the detail oriented people like you and I up a wall sometimes. But it's interesting um, to hear you say that because I was um, actually had planned to, uh, to go to the world board game championships this year. And I was going to take a day and drop down there. And I, so I read a few accounts and then I saw the video and it really, and I guess for TV, you just have to make accommodations to make it appeal to to people. But, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it just, it, it wasn't as clean as it, uh, as it didn't feel as clean in the, in the recounting as it did in the video. Right. It's also hard to tell because there's only a couple pages like that exist that document what actually happened there from a couple different points of view. So it's not a lot of real history to go on. So it's all conjecture. Um, although I've spent some, I, I spent about an hour at Jamunville Glen by myself on like a rainy, like foggy morning um, two years ago. And yeah, it's just, it's creepy. It's like just standing there quietly and just hearing the rain and just imagining, you know, 50 people there very confused and like setting a course um, that, you know, literally changed the world for a couple of centuries now. Yeah. 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 No, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a key place in history and it has such a big impact on the American revolution. I have to get there. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm trying to find a way, yeah. you know, the other place uh, that's so important <clears throat> that's so important to the American Revolution, of course, is Ticonderoga. And, mm-hmm. and Ticonderoga was more of a location than a fort mm. during, yep. the, during the French and Indian War. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, it's interesting that over the course of time, it became so important to the British, who I yep. guess did a lot of the improvements between the wars. They did. But, you know, the, the, I remember the story that King George... The recounting that King George celebrated victory when Burgoyne took Ticonderoga, and and he said the war's over, mm-hmm. which which just tells you how important they thought that location was. Yeah, uh, for yeah, and uh, really really want to get there. Um, yeah, the 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 geography of the place is um, is pretty spectacular, and I I of course I was there last year and. The part that I enjoyed, you know, because the fort is the later improved fort. It's the big stone fort. And that was not the fort that was there during the French and Indian War. But there's a, there's a, you know, it's like a, I don't know, mile and a half walk or something like that that takes you out and through the woods and, and through all the uh, mounds that still exist where all the positions were um, for the Battle of uh, Fort Carillon, um during the French and Indian War. And that's also like incredibly moving like what the you know what was pulled off there in a matter of days you know if you hand a couple of guys you know a couple thousand guys shovels and a lot of motivation like how much they could get just done by hand back then yes yeah yeah i still um and you and i have talked a little bit about this but i still want to do a pop-up game convention at ticonderoga Yeah, because yep. I, you know, I think places like Ticonderoga and Gettysburg are just perfect for mm-hmm. us to put out the word. We're going to meet on this weekend. 
Saturday, we're going to go through the fort. And Sunday, I've rented a VFW hall, and we're going to play, go play games. And and so you know I I don't I don't think it will be this year but um, but at some point in the future I'd love to pull that off. Yeah. There is a VFW hall right downtown in Ticonderoga. <laughs> Perfect. And it's about three blocks from the Star Trek Museum too. If that floats your boat. That's an added benefit. I didn't know that. <laughs> that is. Perfect. I had no idea it was there. <laughs> so um, what what's what's the what's the site for you for the French and Indian War? Um, for the French and Indian war, I mean, there's two of them. I mean, I like, I, I love, um, I love Fort Niagara. Um, you know, I grew up about an hour and a half from there. I went, I went to college in Buffalo. So, you know, that's, that's like my part of the country from my childhood. And I went there a lot as a kid and it's just a gorgeous, it's a gorgeous facility and it's an amazing fort. And I think it's actually being, um, reviewed, um, there was legislation signed last year that the National Park Service is doing a study to maybe incorporate it into the Park Service system um, in the future. Um, but I like I like um, I like uh, Fort Necessity. I mean, it's again, I'm I'm and I'm not the only person. I'm not unique, but I'm endlessly fascinated by George Washington um, and particularly his his early career. Um, and the trajectory of him and to walk that ground. Um, I, I was on an internship in the early nineties in that part of the world. Um, and so I spent a lot of time. Um, I'd stopped there. I probably went there a half dozen times in the couple months that I lived there initially um, just walking around and just breathing at air and looking at that tree line. And they've made s- such incredible improvements um, over the years that I've been going there now, uh, almost 30 years on and off. I've been visiting that site. Uh, the museum is spectacular. The recreation of the stockade is amazing. Uh, the trails and so on and the terrain around there. It's just, it's, it's transformative. And, um, you know, I always, I always talk about George Washington is like, he was the guy that was um, like wanted nothing more than like a high level position at IBM and like IBM, like 1950s IBM. <laughs> and they just said like, kid, we're never going to hire you. And so he went to work for like a little startup. Yeah. And that startup wound up being like Apple. Right. <laughs> he wanted nothing to more than to be a British officer. Yes. If they had just made him a British officer and he'd gone with the motherland no revolution, at least right then anyway. Well, certainly wouldn't have won one. Yep, wouldn't have won one. So he went, you know, he took a, he took the biggest gamble of his life and he'd had a string of failures and, um, you know, his first three jobs, you think, you think of his performance evaluation, right? <laughs> like his, his first three tasks were complete failures. I don't think there are very many organizations that would have kept an employee like that, but yeah. for whatever reason, they kept giving him more to do. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's something. I I uh, had a student one at, once ask me, uh, you know, what were the what were the key turning points in the American Revolution? What what are the things that could have changed it all if they'd been another way? And I you know my, I usually give them a couple of answers, and usually related to British hubris. But mm-hmm. but the third answer is my favorite, and that is, what if Washington had been a mere mortal? <laughs> <laughs> because you know, you read the history 
and you just can't believe his performance and what he did in the American Revolution. Mm-hmm. Not to mention after, right? Oh yeah, yeah, it's just incredible. And, and as a as a businessman, and like everything about him, it's like it's it's hard to um, it's hard to say enough. You know, speaking of documentaries about Washington, there's one I've been meaning to track down. There's a there's a company in Texas, a production company that does religious documentaries, and uh, they did one. It's like a recreation, and it's about Washington's relationship with, you know, him thinking he was like a chosen person and like God was like guiding him and so on. And it looks, I mean, it's got an agenda, but the production values look pretty spectacular and it focuses on his early career. So I just need to track that down at some point. It's called Washington's Armor. Washington's Armor. Yeah, you can find the trailers online. Well, we'll take a look. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll check that out. Well, yeah. before we close, I have one more question for you, which is, okay. which is relatively small, but important. As I was watching you play Liberty or Death. Oh, did I get everything wrong? No, 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 no. No. And, <laughs> and I, I tell you, here's my rule. I've learned over time that if you see a mistake on a video or a picture mm-hmm. for the game that you designed, you mm-hmm. do not correct people. <laughs> and and the reason you don't is because it's a fun killer. Yeah. It's just rotten. You know, I've, I've been on the other side of that. But yeah. people play games based on their understanding of the rules, and they're never perfect. And if they hold themselves to the perfection standard, it's a miserable existence. Mm-hmm. So I'm mm-hmm. happy that people are playing the game and getting enjoyment out of it. And especially somebody like you that knows so much about the era uh, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just thrilled that you enjoy playing it and you share it with other people. So I would never tell you that you did something <laughs> wrong. Yeah. Um, but if you, you know, send me a question, I'll answer it. But uh, Okay. So, here, so here's my question to you. When you were playing Liberty or Death, the, the native faction to refer to them. The Haudenosaunee? Yes. Where does that word come from? So, so this is part of my research. So... Um, Iroquois is a derogative French word that they applied to the Native Americans um, in the region. And their actual, what they call themselves is the Haudenosaunee. Um, So, and it's interesting, the last time I was at, um, uh, when I was at uh, Fort Niagara this past summer, the interpreters are now using the word Haudenosaunee, which is the first time I had seen them do that, having heard them use Iroquois my entire life. And they actually made note that they had recently like made those changes. And so um, you'll, you'll find that being layered in increasingly over time because it's not, uh, Iroquois is not a kind word and it's, you know, it's a sort of a racial epithet in the minds of, uh, of, of those people. So it's just, you know, it's, we learn, I mean, this is a great thing. I mean, culture is a timeline, right. And it allows us an opportunity to learn and change and adapt. And I mean, that's one of the wonderful things about being a part of this hobby is opportunities to learn more. Yeah, that's, that's well said. And, and, you know, our, our, our growing sensitivity um, 
to these topics. Uh, I, I, I'm one of the things I regret with Liberty or Death is the is the is the label Indian. And if I had it to do mm-hmm. over again, or I did it today, it would be different. But I had yeah. a professor friend of mine that said, "Look, at least the native faction gets a gets a vote at the table in your game." Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and which which made me feel a little bit better. But um, yeah, I was talking to Joel Toppin just yesterday, and talking about his games, of course. And, and specifically Comancheria. Mm-hmm. And and I said, you know, one of the reasons, though, that, that people love your games is because yeah. you have standing. You you mm-hmm. live amongst the people. Yep. And and that gives him standing uh, that I don't have. And uh, mm-hmm. and I think it's wonderful that he's willing to do games uh, and, and do the deep research into the topic that he does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll dig up... Um... There's some really good writing around the, the 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 word Indian and and how that's how different people approach it both historically, culturally, and and like the common like the modern thing. It's you know it's an evolving topic, um, and uh, and it's it's very interesting because we you know we just need to keep our our our, our, our minds open to change whatever it might be. Yeah, fair enough. Well, that's yeah. a great place to 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 call it, Kimber. I I appreciate you spending the time with me and um, and talking about these topics that you know so well. And I hope oh. that um, we have another time to to dig deep into this. Yeah, and we'll uh, we'll get across the table at some point for real. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Look forward to that. <laughs> well, let let me wish you and your family uh, good health and good times through this yes. trying time and. Uh, Let's talk again soon. Thanks, Harold. Same to you.